Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm I'm all ready to start uh, another 10 years. Absolutely. <laughs> Today is the first day of the rest of our lives, David. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we put the we we put the last 10 years to bed. Right. Clean start. Exactly. Episode 521. Yeah, we uh, somehow found a way to dump all of our previous listeners and we are starting with a clean <laughs> slate. Um, okay, so uh, before we get into uh, the the top of the show discussion or anything like that, i uh, got to pay some bills. So this episode is brought to you by the Kickstarter for Hard Road, a 20-minute drama about the intersection of choice, fate, and tradition. It centers around Kylie, a young woman who experiences pregnancy, marriage, and loss, culminating in a heartbreaking tragedy that she must weather with patience and strength. A touching story with a strong female lead, Hard Road's Kickstarter campaign will last until the end of this month. Click on the ad at battleshippretension.com for more details. This episode is also brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a, a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Right now on Mubi, you can see Tomorrow We Move, directed by Chantal Ackerman, a neurotic screwball comedy that explores themes of loneliness, mother-daughter relationships, creativity and claustrophobia also available is tomorrow so there's tomorrow we move and then there's one called tomorrow which Start. is the musical version right with an exclamation point at exactly the end. yes <laughs> um uh, so Tomorrow stars Robert Duvall, uh, written by Horton Foote. Tomorrow features Duvall as a lonely farmer who takes in a pregnant woman only for tragedy to strike after she gives birth. So some pretty heavy stuff going on over at Mubi right now. But who's the director of that? Uh, you know what? I actually don't have it in front of me. Um, I got so uh, enamored by the name Horton Foote because right. he wrote, uh, well, he's written a number of uh, plays and great screenplays. He wrote The Trip to Bountiful. Um, ah, right, right, right. And I think he's the one that adapted uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, okay. So, and I well, think he wrote Tender Mercies as well. So, uh, I, I only ask because uh, we had Chantal Ackerman. Before that, we had Hard Road. It is, you know, Women's History Month. It's That's a good time true. to uh, support. Uh, it's always a good time to support uh, female filmmakers, but uh, you can really put your money where your mouth is uh, with the Kickstarter or the movie. That's true because here's well, and here's the, uh, something else is that here's the uh, kicker. Here's the right. Movie has kicked off. See, I've got it right here. Oh, Movie has kicked off a series about famed director Agnes Varda. So uh, now, as of right now, because we're recording That's this, a few, famed director, not. Fame not the director, director of fame. Right? You didn't direct fame. <laughs> you don't know that. Um, <laughs> I know who directed fame. Um, <laughs> That's me typing on my. So, uh, because we're recording this a couple days in advance, I actually don't know what films of Agnes Varda are going to be available on movie, but keep an eye out for that. Uh, you'll notice a new graphic uh, at battleshippretension.com. Uh, so you can click on that and find out everything you need to know. Um, and there's a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try movie free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I.com, slash Battleship to redeem now. And another uh, thing, you can you can have fun with uh, coupon codes, if, if that's how you get your jollies on the internet. I do enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, listen up, uh, anyone who agrees with Tyler. Uh, <laughs> if you want some great, great uh, earbuds, 
then the place you're going to want to go is tweakedaudio.com. They make professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. Uh, they look great. They sound great. Uh, we're big fans. We use them all the time. And they're available. They're already available at a low, low price over at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and uh, no shipping charges. So uh, go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Now, okay, we teased a topic, uh, a subtopic on the movie journal this week. I don't know yeah. if anyone, if everyone listens to the movie journal. I think more people listen to the movie <laughs> journal than the actual episode. Well, maybe, maybe that's how we start getting those movie journal fans to listen to the, sure. <laughs> the main episode is sure. by teasing stuff we're going to talk about. So there was uh, that'd be a terrible idea, actually. But uh, I, uh, I, I, um, I didn't look that deeply into this. So I, you know, I, I think there were just some designs online. There was some talk about the idea yeah. of movie theaters with like a playland, like a McDonald's playland or like a discovery zone yeah. in them, in them, in the theater. Not when we say theater, we don't mean the building. We mean the individual theaters. And I can't, did, how, how deeply did you look into this? Uh, fairly. So this is an actual proposal? This is an actual proposal. Apparently there are a couple of theaters that already have this. And the idea, so the kids can come in like 10 minutes early and they can play around and then there's the movie and then they can stick around for like another 15 minutes and, and continue playing. So the idea is, you know, uh, kids get restless. And so, you know, the parents can take their kids to this movie and, the kid gets restless and then starts playing around on this. And here's the thing. Equipment. No, neither of us is a parent. True. That's a parent. Yeah. Um, that neither of us is a parent. Um, but my feeling is mm-hmm. that if I had a kid who's going to go play around on a jungle gym and some slides, yeah, I'm going to be keeping my eye on the kid to make sure he or she doesn't break their neck yeah. or get taken by a bad guy. Sure. Um, in, in kid terms. Yeah. I'm not going to be sitting there, you know, watching Wolverine fuck some people up or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or whatever movies on. I'm probably not that now that I think about it. <laughs> right. Because that would be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I guess. You're, why not? At that <laughs> yeah. Point. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Uh, the la- there are a number of things going on. Number one is I'm sure there are any number of parents who are like, look, I like taking my kid to a playground, but can we just make it really dark so I can't see them and right. they can't see each other and they're just right. smashing into each other, That's, I assume? Like, obviously, the as cinephiles, um, I've been told by a listener to stop saying cineasts, uh, as cinephiles. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's conversation for another time. Uh, okay. Um, as cinephiles, you would think our immediate reaction would be like, you know, that's uh, a disgrace to the movie going experience. But I feel like it, 
you can't even get there. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a dumb idea before you even get to that. It doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. There are free playgrounds. Right. So oh, yeah, all over the place to pay money so that the kid won't watch the movie and, and that you, you can ha- like at best half watch the movie. Yeah. Um, because it's not merely that you're keeping an eye on the kid. It's that for those moments when you are paying attention to the film, you're also hearing a bunch of dumb kids yeah. on this like plastic hollow equipment, just banging around. I don't understand. I don't understand how somebody arrived at this. Not even as a possibility. I mean, it would never have occurred to me to even bash these two ideas together as a joke. <laughs> and yeah, much it's less, too nonsensical to stand. It doesn't hold water yeah. as a joke. <laughs> it, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, it's like uh, Ray Romano uh, had this bit where he said, I like to play a game with myself where I will try to construct a sentence that no one has ever said. Uh, and so he, in his book, he goes like word by word and says, you know, uh, like I'm, t- uh, I'm late for work and goes, okay, people have said that. Where's my fish briefcase? <laughs> and he said, all right. Now, conceivably, there probably is a fish. Somebody somewhere has a briefcase full of fish that they will refer to as their fish briefcase. He goes, but it's highly unlikely. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to add one more word. Uh, where's my fish briefcase, Mr. President? He goes, all right. He's like, or so, it was something like that. He goes, all right. I think we've hit critical mass. He goes, I'm pretty sure that if this man who uh, carries fish in his briefcase has misplaced it, is late for work, where he will need his fish briefcase, and the only person that might know where it is is, in fact, the president of the United States. Uh-huh. It's highly unlikely. So, like, the idea of just jamming words together okay. uh, That's, yeah. is, is something that can be very funny, but at no point could I ever imagine, even if you are trying to be absurd, ever coming to this place where a playground would be in a movie theater. I'm so I'm in this film. I'm teeing for this film history course. There were holdouts in movie theaters in regards to food. The idea of, of, and I don't mean meals like with knives and forks on plates or anything like that. I mean like popcorn, popcorn and drinks, which I guess there's that slurping noise there at the end, but they're like Lowe's held out for 20 years on food. I'm with those people. I don't get food at them. You do. You're a, I do. I enjoy and it. I, and I have, but I could be, I'm against nachos. Out. That's a loud food and popcorn can be, but nachos, you can't make it not loud. I remember I got nachos in the movie theater once I was with you. Do you remember what we saw where I got nachos in the movie theater? Was it letters from Iwo Jima or uh, that's no, that's no, when this, I got popcorn. This was in Springfield or yeah, in Springfield we saw Lassa Hellstrom's chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I had seen it already for sure. some reason. I and think you wanted to see it. And I was like, ah, sure. I got an afternoon or whatever. Yeah. And so I went with you to see chocolate and I got, I was hungry and I got nachos <laughs> in the movie theater. How did I respond? I don't remember. 
I was probably, I was probably, I, too, he, he, I was probably too consumed with my nachos. Sure, to absolutely. Pay attention. You might have been like, you know, Marge Simpsoning at me the whole time, but I didn't notice. Yeah, it's. I like the idea that you, at one point you watched Chocolat and said like, mm, "I'm in the mood for some nachos." <laughs> yeah, this really gets me going. Not M and M's, not anything like that. Yeah, and it just, yeah, I, I can't. I'm astonished on so many levels. And again, I'm not a parent. I understand you want to get the kids out of the house. You want them to get like you, you maybe want to see a movie or you want to get, have them get some physical exercise. But to me, it's just like, okay, you have to make a choice. Sometimes in this life, we have to make choices, either movie or physical exercise, or perhaps you see the movie and then afterwards it's time for some physical exercise, whatever it is, uh, to combine these things and see that as a viable option is dumbfounding to me. Yeah. No, um, thank you. A little, uh, news from the, the, the light side or, you know, the, the, the positive side. Sure. The, the world where things are still good. Um, you know, cause we need that, you know, look, the news is full of terrifying things <laughs> yeah. right now. Um, but occasionally you get some good news. I don't know if you saw about the, uh, uh, California prisons are uh, uh, largely reducing solitary confinement for death row prisoners, which I think is a big, uh, a big plus because solitary confinement um, does awful things to the human brain. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of movie related stuff, I'm on a lighter note. Okay. My coworker went to see Logan at a theater that she goes to. It's in, I think it's in like Marina del Rey. Mm-hmm. That is a 21 and over theater and they are strict like in terms of, like even at like a bar, you know, yeah. if you go to a bar in the middle of the day and you have your baby in the stroller, most bars aren't going to turn, turn you away. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but the, this theater is like, no, you can't even, this isn't just because we serve alcohol. Yeah. No one under 21 is allowed in. And so she saw a woman like throwing a fit because she couldn't bring her infant in to see, to see Logan. And, uh, the movie theater stood, stood by their guns and uh, wouldn't let the woman in. Um, looks like and, I have a new favorite theater. Uh, yeah. And, and this woman was like, uh, the, I guess the woman's complaint was like, I pay extra to come to this nice theater. Cause if they serve food, it's like a nice theater. Yeah. And my coworker after she left said to the employee, uh, that's why I pay extra to come here. <laughs> yeah. So people don't bring the shitty kids in. Exactly. And you know, it's, th- there are, you know, the mommy and me screenings and all that. And I, and I recognize that, you know, when somebody goes, it's just, parents and kids. And after a certain point, I assume that parents, they do learn to tune whining kids out or mm-hmm. anything like that. And so they're able to watch this movie, take care of the kid and everything's fine. But, um, but just go to that. Don't demand. I'm going to sound a little curmudgeonly, David. Okay. We don't get everything in this life. We don't simply wanting something doesn't Uh mean you, you get it. Yeah. And you know, I want a movie theater where I, my kid can, uh, can get exercise or I want to take my infant Uh to this hard R rated movie. Not that it's necessarily going to affect them, except there are loud noises. It could cause the kid to start crying. I want to do that. And I want to pay extra because it's a nice theater that has this policy that doesn't apply to me. Here's why it doesn't apply to me. I don't want it to. It just, we all have this, these, these moments of entitlement. I get it. But at the same time, I just don't, 
I, we're trying to run a civilization here, David, and you know what? It's not working. And we cinephiles, not cineasts. Sure. We need a sanctuary. <laughs> we do. Uh, this is, and I'm going to lose some people, maybe even you, uh, here, but I kind of feel the same way. Anytime I look at Yelp reviews of casinos, there will be so many complaints about the smoke. Hmm. And my response in my head is always, Hey, do you know where you can go if you don't want cigarette smoke? Yeah. Literally anywhere, anywhere else. else. Yeah. Casino, like, let us have the casinos. It's yeah. the only place left we can smoke inside and have a drink yeah. and like not be like forced to go out, like stand on the sidewalk, like like uh, Patterson's dog. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, let us have the casinos. And there's this. There's that old Greg uh, Greg Proops joke where he was talking about uh, you know the anti smoking laws in bars uh-huh. and just he said. Bars are already, and so, and obviously, you know, that passed and all that, but, uh, he said, bars are already a place where people go to make terrible decisions <laughs> where it's just, I'm here to destroy some, uh, some brain cells and maybe get a sexually transmitted disease. Can you put that out, please? <laughs> um, do you remember Eddie Izzard's thing when, uh, it was when the ban had just passed. He said, no smoking in bars in California and soon no drinking and no talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's. Uh, there, there's that. I think that's a gr- that's a great example of just, and yeah, we're just gonna sound super old, but yeah, yeah. Oh, I I really want to smoke while I'm just gambling my children's college uh, <laughs> right, fund exactly. away, and just, that's always the example. Yeah, you're already getting two major vices out of the way: <laughs> drinking and gambling. Do you have to have all of them? I don't know. It's uh, no, I'm saying I do. Oh, you do? Oh, okay. All right. That's what I'm saying. You're saying you do. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Sorry, sorry. That's my, yeah, I, yeah. That's my you sanctuary. Do, you do want all of them. Yes, Just I see there. what you mean. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'll go, you know, out on the street. God, God forbid I'm in downtown Burbank. I'll have to go hide in a fucking alley behind a dumpster. Indeed. Because you can't even smoke on the sidewalk in Burbank. I have not seen you smoke in a while. Are you cutting back? I have cut back uh, considerably over, a, yeah, not even recently. Yeah, uh, uh yeah, I I, I I don't smoke uh, nearly as much as I as I used to. Yeah. Like it occur- maybe one a day, but then if there's a thing where if it's, if it's like if I'm at a casino or yeah. a party or something, then I'll I'll have a few. But but on a day to day basis, it's maybe one cigarette a day at this point. Like there was a there there was a time when you and I would finish recording, and afterwards we would stand outside my house and you would smoke a cigarette and that has not happened in quite a while. Yeah. I I, I did not assume that you would quit, but I assumed that you must have cut back. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sort of happened naturally actually, which I feel like there are probably smokers listening who've been trying to quit for years or cut back for years who are like, I'm like sick boy in train spotting. Like it's, it's it's easy for me. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I didn't really think about it. I've just cut back. All right. All right. What's going on on the website? Oh yeah, that's a good uh, that's well, a good question. We mentioned uh, last week, we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, it's been ten years mm-hmm. of doing the show, and so there's a couple of things, a couple of ways you can celebrate that on the website, which is you can listen to our first episode ever, which hasn't been available for like six or seven of the ten years we've been doing. Yeah, it's been we took that Maybe down a long time ago, probably longer. Yeah, um, because we're not you know happy with um, how we sounded when we were. Uh, I was 24. Yeah. It's crazy Um, to, yeah, you would have been 25, newly 25, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's on there. It's on the, it's, it's, uh, you, you can judge us, 
Um, you can make fun of us in the comments. Uh, I'm all for it. It's a way to celebrate. But the real way that you can celebrate yeah. um, is by buying all our shit. Uh, yeah. We have premium episodes. We've been doing them uh, for a while because we used to do fundraisers, you right. know, and we would do like raffles and it was so like three out of the however many people who donated would get right. something. And we felt like, let's do a fundraiser where everybody get something was yeah. just sell some stuff. So we started doing premium episodes. Um, so we have, um, the, all, all the commentaries, right? Which is, uh, you got your Lord of the, Lord rings. Of the rings, alien. Yeah. Batman slasher and zombie. So it's yeah. five sets of commentaries. Yeah. It's 50 hours. Well, maybe it's around 50 hours. Yeah. Right there of entertainment. Plus you've got our two premium episodes, which right. is the premium bill, bill Dwyer episode, mm-hmm. which is a blast. And the, um, uh, 2007 retrospective yeah. episode. And that itself uh, is pretty long as pretty well. Long. And you get, if you, th- you know, if you had fun making fun of our first episode, yeah. you can listen to the first 40, which isn't actually, it's actually just shy of 40. Right. 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 Um, because some of the guest episodes are in, in the feed, but it's the, f- uh, all the first 40 episodes that aren't in the feed. You get all of that, which yeah. would normally be a value of, I haven't even done the math, like a hundred bucks. Right. Uh, let's see. These days, because I marked the 40 down, I believe it's in the area of $65 to 70 Okay. Well, you can get it for $25. Indeed. That's so like uh, two-thirds off, roughly. Better. Yeah. Um, so uh, for a limited time, um, I don't know if we've put an end date on it yet, but for a limited time, act now. I'm willing right? to say for the month of March. For the month of March. There you go. For the month of March, you spend $25 over there. Uh, Tyler will email you, I'm assuming a zip file of uh, all yes. of that stuff. I will post a, a, a link on the side of the page so you don't have to go searching for it. It'll just be right there. You can click on it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, there you go. I, I'm, I'm very proud of our commentaries and of our premium episodes. Not so much those first 40, but hey, you got to, you know, yeah. you can see where we started at least. Um, and, uh, and yeah, those commentaries are tremendous fun. Yeah. And they are so, blessed. and when we see alien, when we say alien commentaries, we mean alien, aliens, alien three and alien resurrection. And then right. zombie commentaries are various George Romero movies and slasher movies. So you can, you can find out more information on the yep. website, but yeah, either way, 25 bucks for dozens of hours of, uh, sparkling entertainment scores pretty, of hours, scores of hours. No. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Scores of hours. All right. Um, also over at the website, Tyler posted his winter playlist, uh, yeah, just, finally. just under the wire there. Um, uh, Craig reviewed, uh, uh, in the, uh, in our home video hovel section, reviewed no retreat, no surrender an early John Claude Van Damme movie. Uh, Sarah's continuing her journey through our top 100 with the best years of our lives and wild strawberries is a Bergman film. We didn't mention on the, on the movie journal. Um, West looks at the music of Bernard Herman and Alfred Hitchcock movies. Um, what else? Uh, Jim over at I do movies badly is, um, uh, going to continue to hate me for the month. Yeah. He's watching uh, Kim Ki Duck movies. He, he he posted his episode about the aisle. Um, you got reviews of uh, my Scientology movie and the Ottoman Ottoman Lieutenant. And then you've got a couple two new things I want to point people to. One sequel cast is back. Mm-hmm. Uh, only now it's called sequel cast two. Fitting, appropriate. Uh, so it's it's Matt and Thrasher um, doing the show again, except it's a new show. It's called Sequel Cast Two, and they're kicking it off with RoboCop Three. Why? Don't, right. Why not? Yeah, the one with who plays RoboCop in that? 
Oh, I knew his name at some point. Now I don't recall. It's um. Now I'm figuring it too. It's like it's like a three name thing. It is. It's like John William Burke or something like that. That sounds right to me. Uh, yeah, he is was there a the Kevin in there. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, but he was the the he was the priest on Rescue Me. He's he's been in a billion things. Yeah. Uh, and then now for a while. Uh, the other thing that's new on the on the website is for a while for Angelinos, Scott has been doing a weekly sort of roundup of the repertory screenings. You know all the fun stuff you can see at the at the uh, you know theaters that show old movies. Mm-hmm. You know uh, now for our Chicago listeners, you and I, Chicago is very near and dear to our hearts. Even though I haven't been there in five years, um, yeah, it's been a while for me too. Uh, Aaron is doing a Chicago version, the Chicago report report. So we've got, uh, we've got Scott covering Los Angeles and Aaron covering Chicago. We'll see if there's more to come, uh, based on, uh, the availability of our contributors. But, um, the two cities that define battleship retention, <laughs> you, you can get weekly roundups of all the rep screenings and, and, and be a, if you're a citizen of either, either of those cities or their environs, uh, you can be a good cinephile, not cineast. Robert John Burke. I was close. You were very close. Yes. Very close. All right. Um, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Now, um, this is an episode that, you know, what this guy was in David. Hold on. Uh, give me a clue. You talked about it recently, and you love it, and maybe more than you should. Uh, Constantine? No. Uh, it's, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? No, it's, uh, you talked about it last week. All right, what is it? Two Guns. Oh, Two Guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that movie. All right, um, so this is an episode, a little bit of a tease. This is actually going to be a two-parter, mm-hmm. because we had an idea for an episode, I started researching that idea and I found that half of the movies, like examples I was coming up with fit into a, like their own category. And right. I was like, let's do that one first. And next week we'll do the thing we said we were going to do. Right. Whatever gets us one more week, you know, <laughs> <laughs> after 10 years, yeah, we've done 520 of these. Uh, yeah. You're just phoning it in. Um, no. So, so today we are going to talk about, directors who only made one feature film indeed um because you have to add to clarify because some of these people have short films or some of these people have careers in television Mm -hmm. as directors but these are directors who more or less only made one feature film yeah um and and often they work in they they have a very successful career in visual effects or editing or cinematography or something yeah. like that. They do very well in other fields and then try their hand at directing. And for whatever reason, maybe it doesn't go well. Maybe they don't yeah. actually care for it. You know, I hadn't thought about that. But a lot of the people on my list are maybe they're music video directors. A lot of them are actors who mm-hmm. did one. They've got an editor. Yeah, uh, I've got a musician. I've got a a, a, a screenwriter. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of people who had and continued to have after their directorial debuts. Yeah, uh, um, successful careers uh, under a different job title. But this is the only uh, the only thing they directed. I feel like we should kick off with, I guess, the elephant in the room. Uh, for people like us, at least, is the Night of the Hunter, right? Charles, Lawton's are you making a joke about Charles Lawton's weight? Because that's it, inappropriate. N- no, I think, oh, okay. I think you were being inappropriate. Because yeah, 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 I know. Didn't occur to me. Um, 
Uh, yes, that's uh, yeah. that's one of the most famous examples of someone who only made one. Because I, think he, it's the, I think it's the most famous for for people like us. Uh, yeah, because um, and th- I, I don't want people like us to sound like it's uh, elitist. I just mean people who have the interest that we have. Not that people that know more about movies and thus are just smarter yeah, about movies yeah, than other people. That's not what I meant. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, and it is you know when I'm looking at my list, it's certainly the most highly praised, highly regarded right. film probably ever made by a director who only made one movie. That's probably correct. And, and you know, as I was making my own list, there are a couple where I think, Oh my gosh, how would I, how, how much would I love for this person to have made a second film? Other cases it's okay. Yeah. One film's about right. Uh, yeah. With Charles Lawton, night of the hunter is such a work of genius and just such a unique film that is virtually unclassifiable. I think people have said it's a horror movie. People have said it's a noir. Um, yeah, but it's a strange fantasy film. It's this odd Southern Gothic type thing. There is so much going on in this film. If you had to like you Tyler and David's battleship retention video store, I feel like I would, if I had to, I would put it in horror. I guess I would as well. I don't know. I think I'd be inclined to just, I know that expressionism or expressionist is not necessarily a genre, but I feel like, and it has a lot of overlap with horror. Right. And, and a lot of overlap with noir, but because it doesn't fit into either of those specifically or completely, I I feel like I'm just, I'll just say it's this weird, this, this strange expressionistic fantasy. I don't know. Dream sequence. It's very, it's just, so staggering to see this movie and realize that this guy who is a brilliant actor, but no matter how uniquely talented he was as an actor there, there it's, it's impossible for me to have ever conceived of the idea that he had this in him. And so, and who knows, maybe if he'd had an opportunity to direct another film, maybe he would not have done well. Uh, maybe the way he made this film is a fluke. Maybe he just saw something very um, special about this script that brought this out in him, and maybe he wouldn't find that elsewhere. And yet somehow, somehow I doubt it. Somehow I feel like somebody who has this movie in him is has such a unique vision for film and storytelling that I would be excited to see what he does next. But that's the thing. The only thing we can ever do is wonder. Yeah. Um, would he, would his sophomore effort have been terrible? Would it have been better? Who's to say, or at least as good, there's no way to know. And that's, that is at times maddening. Well, um, I, I, my list here, i mostly, almost entirely chose good movies. I did not, um, almost entirely. But while we're on the subject of actors, which is uh, weird. I, I didn't even realize, but almost half my list is movies by actors. Oh, interesting. Um, all in the subject of movies directed by actors. I want to talk about one particularly terrible movie. Okay. It's the only movie that Nicolas Cage ever directed. Right. It's called Sonny. That's right. With James Franco. It stars right? James Franco yeah. as uh, someone who was raised to be a, or he was raised as a prostitute by his mother slash madam, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, and comes home from, being in the, he went off to join the army. He comes back home to new Orleans and is sort of finding himself dragged back into that lifestyle. And it is a garish and ugly 
film um, that uh, has no sense of grace or humanity to it. It's just, it, it's, it's just a overheated mess of yeah. a movie and it is ugly. I don't just mean like it is at times ugly to look at, especially of course, Nicholas cage plays a character and he's as usual swinging for the fences, which goes wrong maybe more often than it goes right. But when it goes right, it goes really right uh, yeah. with him. Um, but it's ugly and it's just view of humanity. And it's not, not a movie I would uh, gladly suffer through again. What? Uh, let's stick with actors. Let's, okay. let's get through some actors. All right. So here, okay. So the one I was just looking up, um, it is soon to not be the case anymore. Uh, okay. Edward Norton directed Keeping the Faith in two thousand. Oh yeah. And he has. Uh, I don't remember a that film. being very good. <sighs> okay. Well, he has a film called Motherless Brooklyn that'll be that it it's in development. So who knows if it'll actually happen, but keeping the faith is a perfectly fine film. It is, it is pleasant. And I seem to recall the story is that Edward Norton said that Warren Beatty contacted him and said, you should direct. (laughs) And I think, and I don't think Warren Beatty was like meant to direct keeping the faith, but I think he just had this, project somewhere and just threw it to Edward Norton who made this film that is pleasant and featuring characters that are, that are likable. But in the end there is as unique and startling as night of the hunter is that it it is uh, keeping the faith is to that degree bland and forgettable. And Do you just, think Warren Beatty was handed the wrong information and thought he was talking to Edward Burns? <laughs> well done. Well done. We're going to move on. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I was like, how far can I let him get from this? I have to make this joke. It's <laughs> the time is running out. Yeah, you, you did. You did well there. Um, but yeah, it's again, it's not a bad movie. It's just, there is no authorial mark on that film really at all. Right. And for, and most of these movies for good or ill, they definitely feel, I won't even, it's hard to say, <laughs> I can't say that they are auteurist visions cause they're one movie. Although an argument could be made that that's what night of the hunter is. But you know, most of these right. are, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Like how, how, to what extent do we know that a person is putting their stamp on the movie if we don't have a, you know, sometimes like with actors, it takes, you know, an actor might be really good in one role. Right. And then you see them in something else and it's like, Oh, I guess that's the only thing they could do. Or yeah. sometimes you see them as he's like, Oh, I didn't realize how great this actor was. Right. Like to what extent are we, if we see, if we point at night of the hunter and, mm-hmm. and, and claim autourism, to what extent are we just guessing, you know? Um, right. Because there's, uh, another actor, you know, as long as we're in the subject of comedies, which I guess keeping the faith, uh, is another, um, actor, uh, directorial effort that I love is quick change. Damn right. Quick change. That is on my list as well. Um, and that, because we know who Bill Murray is so as an actor, okay. that film f- does feel authorial because of the, of his type of character, but the larger, sardonic quality of the film feels very Bill Murray to me. But what about the surrealism of it? Because it's, we say it's Bill Murray's, but it's a 
right. uh, co-directing <laughs> right. thing. The other guy uh, is Howard Franklin, um, who also directed uh, Larger Than Life with uh, oh, okay. uh, starring. I saw that. I remember liking that movie up to a point. Uh, I didn't see it. Um, but like the... Um, the 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 jousting match for whatever lack of a better term that, yeah. that they come upon is like uh surreal and dark and not necessarily like I wanna say because I want this to be true, I wanna say that's the kind of director Bill Murray would be. Right. You know? Um like uh a, an you know, an even more twisted Danny DeVito, <laughs> you know, sure. Danny DeVito goes for dark comedy, but not necessarily surrealism. Yeah. And this, like, that's what that sort of, and there's a couple sequences like that. I want to say that's what Bill Murray would be if he directed more movies, but I don't know that, you know, uh, quick change sort of reminds me in, and I know Steve Martin did not direct LA story, but it feel, so we've got these two comedians. One was on SNL, one frequently hosted SNL. They kind of came up in the same generation and they make movies about two the two major the two biggest american cities yeah. on different coasts and both of them do engage in surrealism definitely yeah both of them are uh in their own way a love letter to that place while also understanding how horrible it can be quick change is a bit more open about it which sort of makes sense given that uh well i think that's one of, one of the stereotypes of new york is that people just speak their mind and another, another stereotype about new york or something that i have maybe that i that i think of observed in new yorkers i've only visited there i've never lived there mm-hmm. um is that there's a pride in talking about how awful it is because yeah. there's like the uh you know there's the, the if you can make it here you can make it anywhere right. uh mentality where it's like it, yeah new york is a is a tough tough place yeah. that'll chew you up and spit you out if you're not ready for it i i of course have survived it because i'm tough like i think that sure, sure. Not, not me i'm in the per, in the character i'm playing yeah. here um uh, so I do think there's that, that some of sometimes talking about how <coughs> bad or rough New York can be is part of the love letter to it. Yeah. It's a, and it's a bit self-aggrandizing, but, and yet not everyone can be the, Angelinos, you know, obviously so comfortable. Certainly not uh, San Franciscans. Um, <laughs> Certainly not. They wish Friskins. I like to call them. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but one of the things that I like about quick change is that, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while since I've seen it. It's a movie I feel the need to return to pretty regularly. It does not end with, you know, only in New York or anything like that. It ends with everybody continuing to hate New York <laughs> because that that ultimately is uh, the the New York thing is that, oh, it's crazy. There's crazy people here and it's really hard to live here. But you know what? I wouldn't live anywhere else. Quick change does not end that way. Um, I think the character just wants to just continues wanting to leave or I, I forget if he actually gets out and is thrilled to be gone. Um, and so I feel like there's a with what we've what we've come to know of Bill Murray, which is he always had that sardonic dry wit, but also he's completely committed and he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of patience for sentimentality and cliche. And so while it is odd that there would be the surrealist uh, element, I feel like if it underscores the larger point that he's making, that this place is awful and awful in strange ways i feel like uh he'll commit to that but yes it would be interesting to see him make uh another film yeah um 
What's next? What's next for you? Because well, let's keep the SNL thing going. Okay. Uh, there is a film that does. Uh, when we talk about actors, uh, it definitely it can be tempting to uh, let me make sure that I've got this right. Hang on a sec. It can be very tempting to look at the films they make and look at the parts they've played and, and find a, a link. And, uh, maybe we do that artificially, but uh-huh. I will say when Dan Aykroyd directed nothing but trouble, have you seen that movie? Uh, yeah. I hate this movie. Yeah. Most people do. Uh, and I saw it when I was a kid and, and, and I don't care for it that much. What we know about Dan Aykroyd, although admittedly he's also written stuff, and what we know about him is like a real fascination with gr- with not gross things, but like ugliness, whether it be, you know, Slimer and just just him wolf, just this big fat blob that just wolfs down hot dogs. And yeah. it's kind of gross and like people being covered in slime, you know, and Ghostbusters. Um, nothing but trouble definitely seems to have some of the darker sense of humor that uh that Dan Aykroyd seems to enjoy as a writer and as uh and as an actor um and I think most people would agree that uh that it was greenlit in an attempt to be Beetlejuice uh, it where it deals okay. with some dark or just timber is timbertonian um and but the film is so dark. It is, it is almost bleak in a way. I kind of respect, respect how much Dan Aykroyd commits to just making a thoroughly unpleasant film. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately it's a film that does not have, uh, a lot of laughs and it is theoretically a comedy. Um, I appreciate the level of commitment of all of the actors, but um, it's a film that is more this giant misfire and it's, it's not hard to see why he did not direct anything more. And I will say that when I first saw the film, which was, I was young, I think I saw it when it was on, when it first came out on video. So I watched it with my family. So I was probably nine or 10 and there were things in that film that disturbed me. The, I, the, the little roller coaster thing, yeah. Mr. Bone stripper, as they call it, <laughs> oh, <God>. where, uh, <laughs> you know, this judge, uh, sentences people to death. And so they fall into this little, this small roller coaster. And at the end of it, the, their cart dumps them onto this, um, conveyor belt, which takes them into this, big creepy machine with all these blades and stuff. And so they go in and, and, uh, their bones are spat out the other side. So it, uh, it's this machine that rips your flesh and muscle and guts off and then spits your bones out. You don't know what happens to the guts and skin. You don't want to obviously, but that idea was sure so, <laughs> yeah, I think they're going to be all right. Um, but the idea of that when I was a kid was so disturbing. Um, and that, uh, and yet, as tended to happen, anything violent that I found disturbing also intrigued me mm-hmm. immensely. So the idea of this, of just uh, again, like a a, f- a a a complete human body going in one side and then coming out the other side completely destroyed and quite literally stripped down was something that I just, uh, worked its way into a lot of my, uh, violent stories. Um, it's interesting. We've hit on two, 
two actors with Charles Lawton and Dan Aykroyd who also, at least the narrative is they didn't make another movie because the one they made was poorly received or was right. a bad uh, experience. Right. Um, another one like that, that I think is, is a pretty good movie uh, recently out um, on Criterion Blu-ray is Marlon Brando's only directorial effort. Sure. Uh, One-Eyed Jacks, which I didn't see. Um, uh, it's well, it's, it's on the, you, know, you pick up that Blu-ray. It's, it's worth it. It's, it's really good. A uh, really good looking movie. It's, it's, it's imperfect, but um, uh, it, it is kind of frustrating to wonder like with Charles Lawton, like what could Marlon Brando have done if he'd kept yeah. directing movies? But apparently it was a terrible experience partially because he was, um, a real control freak, if you can imagine, um, uh, where he would, uh, apparently the, his initial cut of the movie was like five, five and a half hours long. And that like, he was, uh, like, uh, proto Michael Cimino in the sense that, um, uh, by the way, that's uh, our friend Scott's uh, observation, the Michael Cimino thing. I just realized, like, hmm. that's not an original thought. Yeah, Scott said that to me. Um, uh, it but, is uh, Scott is the uh, editor at large for Battleship Pretension. Anything he thinks is the property of oh, Battleship right. Pretension, right. which is the property of us. Um, that's right. Uh, but there are things like um, the the production went way over over uh, budget and schedule because he would do things like when they were shooting in Monterey near the beach, he would make everyone wait. Like, like half a day until the sun and the waves were like reflecting off and working one off one another mm-hmm. just the way he wanted before he'd get, <laughs> get the shot. So he might've brought some of this on himself, but yeah. it is an intriguing and cool looking, uh, m- movie that, um, was in many ways worth, worth the effort. Um, but the studio essentially took it away from him after his, right. uh, in, in, in the editing process and, and still the movie still like, over two and a half hours, I think, or around two and a half hours. It's not, uh, you know, they didn't like hack it to, you know, to nothing, no. but, um, it, it was not a pleasant experience for him. And I guess that's the, again, we're supposing, but that's the narrative is yeah, that he didn't make another movie because it was not a good experience. Um, and, and I read a biography of Charles Lawton and it sounds like night of the hunter was not a great experience for him either. Um, on a number of levels, he had a hard time. He, he seemed to not enjoy working with children. Um, <laughs> he butted heads with Robert Mitchum, uh, which seemed to be, seemed to produce a, a great performance uh-huh. by Mitchum. Um, and then obviously, you know, the studio was constantly saying, what the hell are you doing? Um, and then critics didn't even yeah, really, really well respond received, to it, which is crazy to think. Yeah. Like, and it was a, you know, complete box office failure. So literally there wonder, was nothing positive for him yeah. about that experience. Do you ever wonder what movie we're all wrong about now? Sure. Constantly. There's an episode. Yeah. Episodes but it's, we can't we, even say like, yeah, movies we might all be wrong about. Yeah, what if what if like we skip ahead in time seventy years and like Jack and Jill is like <laughs> one of the greatest movies of the two thousands? Yeah, basically the just, right? just take a look at Armin White's favorite movies, <laughs> and he will be seen as the the one who got critic. It, yeah. yeah, the one who who really got it. Oh man, almost a modern prophet, really. <laughs> um, so uh, I do have. I do have one more example. It is very low profile. Very few people care about it of of an actor director. I've got got two more. Okay. Uh, Mine is Joe Mantegna who directed Lake Boat. 
Oh, I never saw Lake that. Boat? No, that was they, but they shot it in Chicago, right? Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I had friends because that was like right after. It was like right after we would have graduated when they were shooting that film school. Because I think some of my film school friends worked on that. movie. I think it was actually while we were in school. It was while we were in school. Okay, yeah, might I, not have gotten a release for a while. To be honest, okay, maybe that's what it is. But I think I had friends who worked on that. Okay, like in the electrical department or whatever. Yeah, it's. And so you didn't see it, right? No, I never okay. did. So I had it on DVD for a while, and then I think it's it's one of the films that I got rid of. Um, it is, it's written by David Mamet, and so it makes sense that Joe Mantegna would want to be uh, associated with it. And, and it's got a really good cast, uh, including a really great soulful performance by Robert Forrester. Hmm. And, um, but in the end, from a, from a, as tends to happen, it's with stuff like this, it's a right. It's definitely a writer's movie. It's an actor's movie. It is not a director's movie. There's really nothing particularly special about the way that he shoots it. He just, mm. you know, he points the camera at the actors and just trusts them to deliver this dialogue well. And indeed, they do. Um, it's it's a perfectly serviceable film, but directorially, there's nothing that really stands out about it. Did neither of us see Philip Seymour Hoffman's, uh, was it Jack goes boating? Is that what it was called? I did not. I didn't see it. I heard good things. I heard good things. Um, so a couple other acted directed movies. One is a bad movie that I'm fascinated with that I bring that I've brought up more than once. Uh, speaking of one eyed Jacks, one of the uh, actors in that is Timothy Carey. Um, who was also in right. the killing and was a, a real wild, wild card. And he made a crazy movie, called The World's Greatest Sinner. Um, long-time listeners have heard me talk about it. I, mm-hmm. I think this movie is um, so weird and, and intriguing, which is about a guy who gets, I guess, fed up with selling insurance and decides he's going to instead start a cult, the premise of which is that everyone can be their own god, and he gets rich off of it. Um, and that's that's basically the story, but it's it goes back... Here's a real, now that we're 10 years into the show, real uh, flashback. If you remember the the one and only time Frank Conniff was on yeah. Battleship Retention. I know he was also on one of our live shows or two. Yep, one. one. Um, but yeah, then when he was on an episode, he talked about, because he was talking about bad movies. You know, because that was his job, right. you know, and MST3K, MST3K is he was the one who, he wasn't like a joke writer so much as he was the one who picked the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure he wrote jokes too, but um, he's a very funny guy. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, his, 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 his evergreen joke of uh, I got pulled over by a cop uh-huh. and uh, he didn't give me a ticket and he only gave me a warning. He told me not to see <laughs> and whatever, whatever movie, whatever mediocre film is out right now. Uh, uh, it's, that's a good it's, joke. It's a great joke. Uh, but he talked about how these days there aren't movies that are that bad anymore mm-hmm. because people who make movies, we we've reached, we've, we've achieved a certain baseline of competency and yeah. film language sophistication. Yeah. Whereas you go like in the first half of the century into like the, you know, uh, I think world's greatest center is like 1962. It might be like the tail end of this, of people who's like literally just didn't know what they were doing. Right. Making movies that like had a, but some, uh, you know, some sort of budget and got a release. Yeah. And so Timothy Carey obviously stars in this movie, uh, that he directed, and he just doesn't know, like, I don't know. He didn't hire anyone who knew editing. That's a 
big, like one of the things that's yeah. most weird and off, like uh, fascinating about the movie is that there's no, there, there's, there's no room in any scene. Any scene, every scene starts right before the first line of dialogue and ends immediately after the first line of dialogue. It's a really weird and jarring thing that you never quite get used to. Um, but it's, there is not another movie quite like the world's greatest sinner. I have no doubt. Um, and I put it on this list because I would have liked to have seen Timothy Carey make more movies. Um, the other one, I don't know. This guy's a, a noted uh, actor, comedian, writer, and I don't know why he hasn't made more movies, but the great Stephen Fry directed exactly one movie. It's called Bright Young Things. Oh, yeah. It's an adaptation of the Evelyn Waugh, Evelyn Waugh novel, uh, Vile Bodies. Um, and it is a just, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's slick in a, in it, and it, and it moves and it's, and it's, it's an energetic and very sharp, um, satire, uh, uh, of, you know, the, 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 I guess children, but not, it's not about children. It's about young adults essentially, or like new adults, um, who have grown up, it takes place around world war one, um, and have grown up aristocrats and have, have never had to worry about anything and have no real, sense of what it means to contribute to society or be yeah. a responsible person. Uh, and they are unexpectedly awful to one another all of the time. Um, and then the war comes and some of them, uh, have to go to war and the movie gets quite dark, but still ma- still maintains its, um, very sharp tongue. It's in, in very sharp satire. It's uh, a very, it's a, I'm a fan of Evelyn Waugh and this is a very fitting, uh, modernization uh, in terms of technique and stuff. Uh, the movie, the movie is still set in the early 20th century uh, of Evelyn Waugh's uh, sensibility. Um, and I, I really wish Stephen Fry would make more movies because yeah. um, I'm a big fan of bright young things and uh, it seems like no one's seen it, I guess. Yeah. Um, I've written, you know, Monday movie is a if you go over to the pod, the, the website, which is something we uh, try to uh, encourage people to do, to do uh, uh, every Monday, every ish Monday, yeah, uh, I'll write uh, just a recommendation of a movie that I'm that's on my mind, and I think I've <laughs> recommended Bright Young Things twice, <laughs> yeah, because uh, uh, yeah, more people need to see it. So okay, that, I think that's the end of my actors list. Okay. What's so, another category for you? Well, uh, I'm perfectly fine to fi- to kind of engage uh what uh friend of the show frank conniff was talking about you know every once in a while i'll think back on certain actors or comedians or or what directors that we've had on the show and i cannot remember how we got them like frank conniff it's like how did we get frank conniff i forgot probably facebook maybe maybe even myspace maybe myspace back (laughs) then um but yeah i i had that thought it's like i have no memory of how i how i got in touch with him but uh but anyway, so um, but I think he lives in New York now. Oh, does he? Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, because I'd love to have him back. I know. Um, so okay, but let's 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 talk about this age of the of uh, unassumed competency. By which I mean, um, you can't take for granted that that even the worst film will be competently made. So let's go back to that and. I want to bring up a movie that 
by all accounts should be terrible. And according to some people, it is, it is really not very good, but, uh, it is a, something of a horror classic now. And that is Herc Harvey's carnival of souls, which is also available on uh, criterion. Um, it really is. So this is a guy that made, you know, industrial films and, you know, not unlike the guy that made a Manos hands of fate, but very different outcomes. Um, Carnival of Souls is a bit clunky at times, but it has such a fascinating command of, of tone. Um, and everything is just heightened and strange. And it's this girl who's had a near death experience and it has sort of awakened her to, she's still walking around in the world, but she seems to be more aware of, of the, the metaphysical or the supernatural. And, um, there are moments, I believe I actually had this as a, as a Monday movie recommendation. Um, Hmm. it's a film that there, there are moments when she suddenly cannot be heard by people. She's walking around in the city and then something, something clicks and people can't hear her. People can't see her and they're going about their business and she's trying to get their attention. And it can be actually a very startling image to see. It's not that people are ignoring her because even in movies where that happens, the person kind of, they'll glance at the, at, at the, the, the main character that's pleading with them, they'll glance at them or they'll just kind of shrug their shoulder a little bit. This is literally, she does not exist in these weird moments of fantasy. Uh, and that between that and, uh, this ghostly character that keeps showing up in her window and down the street and that kind of thing. And as I said, the screenplay is kind of clunky at times. The acting's not always great. It has a very strange, she's an organ player at, uh, at a church. And so you hear a lot the soundtrack is filled with, uh, organ music. Sometimes it's annoying, but other times it's quite haunting. And it's, it really is a fascinating film, but the director just immediately went on to continue making industrial shorts and, and such. And, and it's definitely a film that has, it was, people picked up on it later. Um, if people had, oh, had yeah. liked it at the time, he probably would have diverted more of his money into making another one. But I don't think he, I think he thought that there's no market for it. Nobody yeah. cares about his movie. And since then, you know, uh, he's, he and the cast, they've gone and done conventions and stuff. And only now has he, uh, or only in the last couple of decades, has he come to realize just how, important his film is to to horror horror buffs um speaking of okay so this person is not uh, an actor or, or or like 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 the people previous people i mentioned but another another person who uh whose film was not particularly well received but has since been discovered and is kind of a cult classic uh we talked about it a little bit when we did a profile episode on this guy uh walter murch the editor yep. has directed exactly one film it's called return to oz um and it is a, a very weird and sometimes upsetting uh, sequel to The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, sometimes. Um, yeah, uh, that I guess I can kind of understand why people didn't quite know what they had on their hands when they first uh, were confronted with it. But I think it's one of those, there, there's certain movies that like, um, I mean, I'm trying to think of an example, a more recent example maybe, but like, kids don't know that a movie's a flop 
or whatever. Right. Absolutely. And they don't necessarily know that a movie is weird when they don't have a great frame of reference. So I think a lot of people who were kids and saw return to the return to Oz probably on VHS when it was sure. rentable. Um, they're the people who then grew up and made it this, this cult cult hit. Yeah. Um, and now I've, you know, I went and this was a couple of years back. I saw it, uh, at, at LACMA, like on a Friday night. Um, and the screening was packed. It was, yeah. uh, everyone was there to have a great time and watch this, uh, this crazy dark, non-musical yeah. sequel to the wizard of oz um you've seen it i take it oh yeah. yeah i haven't seen it in a while but yeah i've i and and i watched it a few times when i was a when i was a kid it was something that i that i would return to and i yes it was disturbing but not unlike the wizard of oz i mean it, it creates this whole other world it's not a world you really want to be a part of but um but yeah, I remember really liking it and, and, and I know it was not critically embraced people, you know, even critics I liked, they said, this has nothing in common with the wizard of Oz. It's such a different world. That film was magical. This one is depressing. And I think, you know, obviously you, you will compare the two, but at the same time, you know, I'm inclined to think in terms of if this film is different, is so notably different, you know, do you think Walter Murch was attempting to create uh, the world of Oz from 1939 and just failed spectacularly? Or do you think maybe he is trying to do something different? And if so, why? Um, but it is a film that uh, that didn't do very well and was not well received, which is unfortunate because I, I like... I like the idea of editors going on to make films. It worked for Robert Wise. You know, mm-hmm. he edited yeah. Citizen Kane among others and then directed some of the some really great films in his career. And so it would have been in- interesting to see what would happen if Walter Murch had just stuck with it and, and, and made more films. Let's not forget the great Stuart Baird who uh, edited The Omen and went on to direct Executive Decision. That's right. Yes. I remember liking Executive Decision. Uh, I, I don't remember how I felt about it uh, either way, but it is... Um, but he, uh, th- that's not his only movie. He also did, I'm looking him up right now. He also did U S Marshals and Star Trek nemesis. Those are his only three movies. So when we do the episode on directors who only made three movies, we'll talk more in depth about Stuart Baird. Okay. Um, that's what we'll do is we'll be like, okay, these are directors that only did one movie and then we'll do directors that only did two and then three uh-huh. and then four. And then we'll just keep going until we die. And, uh, you know, dire- my guess <laughs> are there, there are directors that have made 70 movies, right? Oh, look up DW Griffiths. Oh, uh, sure. Sure. IMDb. Yeah. yeah. Like feature a thousand films. movies feature or something. Films. Yeah. We'll say feature films. Um, but yeah, so, uh, now what else, what else do you have? I have a few other notables. Uh, another one. Here's another movie that I absolutely love. And I don't <laughs> think, I'm not sure. I couldn't tell you the box office of the critical, uh, uh, consensus on this movie at the time i can tell you the director probably doesn't care and i think this is unlike other people who were like had a f- frustration and never returned to directing this is a musician who directed one movie and i think he was like well i mastered that now on to other forms of art yeah uh, and i'm talking about true stories directed by david byrne sure talking heads um who has actually made some other like short short documentaries and stuff right but as far as like a feature film true stories is the only one that he made um and it's maybe one of my favorite movies of all time uh it's 
absolutely a David Byrne type of movie in the sense that it's, um, you know, humorously weird. Yeah. But also strangely wholesome. Yeah. Um, uh, Red, I've never seen it. Red letter okay. media actually just did. And you know what? And in doing so, they kind of fly in the face of what I assume of them. Cause I always assume that they talk about, they only talk about, you know, nerd movies uh-huh. of the modern age. Um, but they did devote uh, like this 20 minute episode of talking about the film. And they definitely say that there's a, it's, it's, it's a little bit David Lynchian, but the wholesomeness is something that, that is appreciated as opposed to, ah, there's something underneath or anything like that. Although, I mean, I don't think that's, I think that's a little bit reductive of David Lynch because I think, I think David Lynch has a lot of connection to that sort of small town Americana that I think there is a lot that he likes about it. Whereas David Byrne is an outsider to that because he was, uh, actually born in Scotland, I think. Um, but Mm. moved to the New York area as a, young as a young boy. And so I think the idea of this, this movie that's set in a Texas town and is building up to a big town wide talent show. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I mean, I think that's, that's foreign to him and some, but it's something that he really appreciates. Um, and so the movie is, is weird. David Byrne appears in it as a sort of, um, I guess, narrator chorus mm-hmm. type, um, like a one man Greek chorus yeah. type, um, who wears the big cowboy hat and boots and yeah. like seems to really just, uh, guilelessly enjoying like play acting the part and yeah. like getting into the, into the clothes and just seems, just seems really tickled by everything that he, that he sees. Um, uh, and then you, you've got some, then you've also got some, uh, uh, you know, uh, commentary in there about, um, uh, you know, the cheap television fame and marketing and stuff. Right. Um, but you've got a bunch of songs. Some of them, it's a musical. Um, some of the songs are, um, very, um, they, they are what they are. John Goodman, it's an early John Goodman role Mm -hmm. and he sings a pretty much straightforward, like, country anthem song called people like us. Yeah. It's like a celebrating like simple small town folk or whatever. Yeah. But then you've got some, some weirder songs, uh, too. Um, and you, you've got, uh, you know, um, Spalding gray singing at the dinner table and sort of like concocting his own spinning Busby Berkeley core, like uh, choreography out of like the bowl of carrots and the salads and stuff on the, on the, on the dinner table. I gotta um, see this movie. It, it's, it's such a, a cool, um, weird movie. It has little sort of vignettes that don't really go anywhere. Um, uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really touching and fairly brief. Uh, and, um, it's a lot of fun. It's a good time. Uh, and I was looking at David, uh, Burns filmography and he's directed a number of like concert films uh, and that uh-huh. sort of thing. So that stands to reason, but, uh, okay. So I have, uh, I have three more one I'm saving to the end. Okay. Um, but, uh, but I will mention, Tommy Wiseau with, oh, I've with never seen it. the room. Um, it really is an astonishing film in so many ways. It's, 
you know, to hear him say it, uh, you know, he meant for it to be funny, which is, uh, I'm going to say 100, there's a 100% chance that is a lie. Um, I think he was taking it as seriously as, uh, as any 17 year old writing a script and it feels like it. Um, it's ultimately this movie all about, uh, this, this guy who's just trying to get by and he's just a good guy. He, he does right by everybody. Um, and, uh, but his wife, oh, she just doesn't, she's double crosses him and with his best friend. And, oh, nobody understands me and stuff like that. It's, oh, it's terrible. Um, have you, you seen the pictures of James Franco as, I have not. Uh, yeah. I'm excited. I think they definitely got the right guy to play him. I, I'll say that. But, um, but yeah, the film really does need to be seen. Um, because one of the things that's interesting is it's rare to, I mean, we watch, no, we don't watch, but we've seen so many awful movies, um, either by way of mystery science theater or just on our own, you know, when you and your friends would have like a bad movie night or something. When I say you, I don't mean you, David, I mean people in general. But they're usually genre films. They're usually sci-fi or horror or thriller or cop movies or something like that. It's rare to find a drama uh, or, I guess, a melodrama that is just as ridiculous and just as hilarious as any of these science fiction movies or, or something like that. And it's... And I think a good portion of it is can be traced to his decision to play the lead character um, because he has a vague accent. Um, he's one of these... He, he's a guy that if... You know, people are going to accuse James Franco of overacting. Uh-huh. He's not. No matter how ridiculous right. he he plays that character, he's not overacting. And uh, so it, it's a it's a the guy Tommy Wiseau has definitely gotten a lot of mileage out of his one movie, um, and uh, rightfully so. It is a, it's a little mir- it's a it's a an inverted miracle of a film. Yeah. I missed that billboard on Highland that was yeah. there for years, years. Yeah. Um, all right. I want to mention, I didn't know this was the case until I, uh, you know, I Googled some other people's other people's articles on this subject to see if I was missing any. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, this is a really interesting one because this guy, if you go to IMDb, this guy has 88 directing credits, Okay, but they're almost entirely like stand up comedy concert films oh, okay. or other sort of like, uh, award shows, like a lot of like television and, and concert and performance he's made exactly one movie you would consider a feature you and i saw it together it's a it's a very funny movie and it was the last gasp of the good parody movie before we fell into years of the blank movie whatever and we were rescued eventually by david wayne and they came together but yeah. the last great one before or very good one at least before that was not another teen movie from 2001 Indeed. which is a starring a, the King of TV, Paul Gold. Starring, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah uh, it remains of an underrated movie to this day, although I think it does, like a lot of the movies we've talked about today, it does have its cult of uh, admirers, yeah. I think. Um, but it's a, it's a truly funny movie that actually is a smart parody of the high school like yeah. like high school rom-com high school comedy type of 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 movies it's not 
what they became, you know, with the, uh, the, the two douchebags made all the movie, movie ones. I can't remember what Seltzer and Freeberg. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those just became like, remember this reference, remember this reference, remember this reference yeah. with no insight or commentary. Whereas none of the team movie actually looks at almost like 20 years of like eighties, like yeah. all, like the entire eighties and nineties worth of, of these sort of teen comedies. Yeah. Um, and, and puts them together and, and, and brings out something that is its own movie. It, although it does what like, um, what a lot of these parodies do, which are, the, they're parodying the genre as a whole, but the storyline is specifically, it's pretty much specifically. She's all that, yeah. right. Yeah. It takes the, she's all that storyline as like a, a backbone and then loads all of the, all of the cliches. Um, and it has a great sense of, of history for, for these movies. Um, one joke is that the cafeteria in this high school is known as the Anthony Michael dining hall. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> it's an easy joke, but it's funny. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's just full of, uh, smart stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, more people should, should see it. I don't know. Yeah. Anything I, else to say about it? You, we both like, we saw it together, right? Yeah. And I, it. and it's, it's, you know, it's not necessarily the most incisive parody, but it's, it's everything that, that I look for in a parody, you know, like, a, like airplane where it takes the, it takes the story from one of these things. You know, so essentially it takes, she's all that. And then it find as its structure. Um, and then it brings in all these other elements from the genre, puts them all together. And it just, it has so many jokes. Um, yeah. And they're actually, and some of them are really broad. Some of them are dumb. Some of them are very smart, but it, it gets you in quantity. Now some would say, yeah, but Seltzer and Freeberg have quantities like, hang on jokes. Yeah. These are actual jokes. Some of them might not be incredibly well crafted, but they are at least actual jokes as opposed to, you know, date movie or what, whichever one it was that had a Napoleon dynamite type character. Oh, who, just, just in a vote, vote for Pedro t-shirt. What was that? He's in a vote for Pedro. T-shirt. No, no, I'm sorry. Uh-oh. This is a parody. David, he is in a don't vote for Pedro oh, shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were setting me up for that. No, no you actually, I forgot that it's that dumb. It is that dumb. Also, uh, you can't really parody comedy. Now, admittedly, well, not another teen movie. Not right. Those movies are often the, the movies that it's parodying are often funny, but I think it wisely moves away from trying to parody the comedic bits and instead it parodies the, yeah. the melodramatic melodramatic bits yeah. because it understands that if something is an effective comedy, now I may not be, be a big Napoleon dynamite fan, but it is definitely an effective comedy. Uh-huh. Um, if you want to parody a comedy that is, that's not funny sure. or, or comedic tropes, that's fine. But you know, it's, you can't make me laugh at something that I already laughed with. It's, it's so, I don't know. It's the Seltzer and Freeberg quote unquote parody films. I approach them not unlike somebody who decides to, uh, add, uh, uh, 
playground equipment into a movie theater. <laughs> the, jo- the way they've arrived at their quote unquote jokes, it's like, I don't even know how you thought that and continued thinking it much less got the, like, I don't know how you got there in the first place, much less continued and then got yeah. funding for it. Well, let's, well, the guy, I mean, they, those movies were ridiculously successful for some reason. Well, they um, were always released in January and, and August, which for a while were like big dumping grounds. Yeah. Um, but let's not waste too much time talking about how bad these movies Indeed. are. Not teen movie is a very funny movie yeah. and it, uh, lampoons things like there's the, the, the ducky from, uh, 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 pretty in pink, yeah. um, surrogate who's just a loser. Who's obviously pining for the lead, but she doesn't see it. And he yeah. just like so much punishment gets <laughs> out to this guy, the entire movie, this, the, this poor little loser. Yeah. And the other part that I remember, I remember liking in terms of the, uh, the smarter part is that of, in the entire like friend group, there's the one black guy mm. from the uh, who's on the football team with like uh, uh, Chris Evans and Paul Walker's characters, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's the part there's like the climactic like house party, like can't hardly wait to, to type house party. And I I want to say it's Sean Patrick Thomas. It's another. It's like a notable or a somewhat well-known like young black actor who's at the party. He'd and, probably like, be at about that, ri- that right age. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then the are like the main black character comes up to him. And he's like, Hey man, uh, what are you doing here? I'm, I'm the black guy in yeah. this group. And jump back to Thomas is if it's him is like, Oh, I'm sorry. My bad. And just like, he's like, <laughs> leaves the party. <laughs> yeah. It's, and that's the thing is, you know, sometimes the jokes like that's a somewhat on the nose joke, but it's a, it's observational. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I, I need to rewatch that movie. I'm now realizing um, the solid soundtrack too. Yeah, I agree. Uh, of a lot of a lot of new wave hits, it definitely plays up that John Hughes uh, uh, aspect of having a lot of uh, '80s hits and covers of '80s hits. Yeah, yeah. And it has, uh, I think, one or two original songs. One of them featuring the King of TV, Paul Goebel. That's right. That's right. In uh, maybe his, the best line he's ever gotten to say <laughs> uh, or sing. Okay, so uh, okay, so I got two more. I will bring up Kinka Usher director of mystery men that's on my list for sure yeah uh people don't really like this movie that much uh i do and you do i I do i don't think i do as much as i did at first i think i at first i liked it because i was bummed that everyone hated it sure because there's a lot to like about it yeah but when i revisit it now it's like oh there's also a lot that is missing the mark here it's a really uneven movie yes um but it has a uh, a bunch of stuff that uh i you haven't seen in other movies <laughs> you know as yeah. superhero movies have become uh, uh so big you haven't seen someone parody parody them quite yeah. quite like this and that's the thing is it it parodied what superhero movies were then which okay. was the the garishness of the of the costumes and mm-hmm. the makeup and the and the city itself you know people could look at that and say like oh it's so gross and you think well when you combine the tim burton batman and the joel schumacher batman if you add in the phantom and uh the shadow and dark man and just these, these other superhero movies that came about in the nineties that were obviously an influenced by Tim Burton's Batman. That is what this is parodying. And so I think an argument could be made that it has not aged well because superhero movies aren't that anymore. It would be interesting to see somebody make a parody of modern superhero movies. Um, you know, where you could just 
have a Batman that is completely incoherent and you just cannot understand him at all. Uh-huh. Uh, that's an obvious yeah. joke, but like it's, uh, and, and mystery men is not strictly speaking a parody, but obviously, but it's a comedy and it is obviously informed by, uh, the movies of that era. It's, it's meant to be, I think, recognizable in that way. And so, yeah, I don't think I like it as much as I did then, especially, you know, when I go back and watch the old, tick cartoon i mean that is the gold standard of superhero parody and it's hard to beat and so um but there's there's good stuff in there good performances and you know i really i like a lot of the mystery men i do enjoy hank azaria i really like william h macy yeah um and and it would be, and it, there is definitely a visual flair to it. It's garish, but not necessarily ugly. And I would have liked to see more from this director, um, because there, there is a, de- there are a number of choices being made, uh, that I, that I like. Um, so yeah, that was a, a big one for me. Um, here's a very small one for me, but this is a movie that I've always really liked. Um, this movie called Rush, not the Ron Howard Rush from a few years ago, but right. a movie from 1991. So the Jason Patrick, Jason Patrick and Jennifer Jason Lee, yeah. and also Sam Elliott uh, is in it. But J- Jason Patrick and Jason- Jennifer Jason Lee play undercover cops uh, who are like narcs, essentially, mm-hmm. um, um, who essentially get addicted to the drugs they're supposed to be like ferreting out. Uh, and it's a violent and sexual, uh, torrid movie, but it's a really cool crime movie. Um, that has two fantastic performances. Jason Patrick and, and Jennifer Jason Lee are, are just terrific in it. They're really would keep it afloat. And the director is Lily Finney Zanuck. I had to look it up. Um, he's done some TV, but, uh, never made another feature. Uh, after is that. she, a Zanuck? Is she like related I think she to a Zanuck? Was was married to a Zanuck. Okay. I, I, okay. I'm. I didn't know this off my top of my head. It's on okay. IMDb. She was married to one of the Zanucks. Okay. Is divorced, but still has the name. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah. I guess if you are able to associate yourself with that name, you do. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I was uh, back at Columbia for a science credit. I, I took um, a class about. Uh, drugs and mm-hmm. a prescription or, or whatever. Um, and, uh, we watched a short, um, interview with the guy who wrote the book rush oh, okay. uh, based on his own life's, his own experiences as a, an undercover, uh, drug, not drug enforcement. It's not the DEA, but like, you know, a, a right. narcotics officer. Um, and yeah, and Rush always looked very good to me. And it's fascinating because I think it did pretty well. And I think critics liked it. Yeah. Um, it's odd that uh, the director didn't go on to do anything else. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know why. I remember I watched it. I rented it um, on VHS when NARC came out, the Joe Carnahan movie. Because right. I remember re- it, someone's review was like, uh, this is the best movie about this sort of world since Rush. And I was yeah. like, well, I got to watch that. And so that's when I watched it. And I've always... Uh, I've always liked it. Uh, I should watch Narc again too. Though. That's a good movie. Damn right. It's been a while since I've seen that. Uh, okay, so my last one. Okay, I have one more too. This worked out. So not unlike for me, this is not unlike Charles Lawton. I am 
I don't know. There aren't a lot of directors. I, I would say, while a lot might, uh, while I might not consider him an auteur because there's only one film, I would say that there is a certain visionary quality mm-hmm. to that film. Along those lines, I would say Carrie Conran or Conran, however you say his name. Okay, the director of Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Oh, I knew when I was looking up other people's lists. I was like, I'm, you know what? I'm not even going to put it on my list because I know Tyler's going to mention it. Yeah, it's a film I absolutely adore, and it. It is, it is a visionary film, and it's a film I wish more people saw because it uses green screen and digital uh, effects so beautifully, and and by engaging in in some old school um, imagery and and just some nice you know soft focus and stuff like that. It just seems so there's an expressionistic quality to it. There's, you know, it, it, when I first saw the trailer for it, which is just, you know, all these odd images, I remember Mm -hmm. thinking, did somebody remake Metropolis Mm -hmm. and chose not to really update the images that much? Uh, because it definitely owes a lot to German expressionism. Um, but there's a lot of, there's art deco in there and just with some, you know, some HG Wells, uh, concepts, uh, in there and just, you know, you have giant robots uh, attacking a city and the robots all, they all look like 1950s depictions of robots. You know, when we think of robots now, we, we, we would, or, or modern robots or automation or something like that. Obviously it's remarkably complex, but when you look at these robots, they're very simple. Uh You know, there's probably no circuitry in there at all. Uh, and it's just such a, you know the story is simple as it should be, but to me this that this film is is such a it's it's in the lo- in in maybe not the next, but it's up there with Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Rocketeer, and then this movies that owe everything about them to uh, these 1930s serials, but because of the budget they have and because of modern special effects, they're able to take that and really create the world in a way that those old school filmmakers never could. And I just, I can't say enough great things about it. It's like I said, the story is simple, but it's not a movie about the story. In fact, the simplicity of the story is uh, an essential part of it. Um, maybe I should watch it again. Hmm. Yeah, it never blew me away, but it's definitely an interesting uh, movie, and I'm glad I'm glad it exists. Yeah, and and uh, and it didn't do very well. I'm sure the studio wasn't 100 percent sure how to market it, Um, but I don't know. It's if I feel like if I'm a studio executive and I see that movie, you know, even if I know that it that it didn't make great money. If I see it, I just think this guy needs to work again. Look at what he's done. Uh-huh. Just on principle, yeah. The ne- this this is why you would never be a studio. This, right, <laughs> right. Well, but that's the thing. Every once in a while, there'd be like higher ups in 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 studios who just just believed in a filmmaker, and and sometimes it's it's okay. This one didn't work out. 
but if we place you this guy's sensibilities with the right, you know, pre, uh, you know, pre-existing property, mm. if we put these together, then I think we're in good shape. Like if, okay. if they had if they'd given Carrie Conran a superhero movie, what, well, the superhero movie is going to what was that? What superhero would you like Carrie Conran to take on? Um, that hasn't been, or like if he if he was going. Let's to, start with what hasn't been. Okay, like if you were going to make a movie today. Well, there aren't. Let's see. There aren't that many uh, that I yeah. that I am aware of. Yeah. Um, I think honestly, again, with that imagery, wouldn't it be amazing if he made a Superman movie, but with like old school Metropolis? I think that okay. would be amazing. Um, oh yeah. yeah. I don't know. You know what? I think he. I think he could probably do a pretty neat Fantastic Four. Um, yeah, well, you got to me think of the like old school stuff. Now, I know they did make a movie of the spirit. I never saw it. Right. Oh, that's a good that one. That would be cool. Yeah. If you made the spirit. Um, so, yeah, and I, and I can't think, I mean, he would, I'd be fascinated to see him make a Batman movie. Just all of those, you know, silver age of, of comics where sure, the, yeah. the art deco um, and the, the, the glistening city element um, played a big role in that world. Yeah. I feel like he would do a great job with it. Uh, all right. My final one is a movie that I only just saw for the first time last year. In fact, it made my uh, list that I do every year over at uh, the Rupert Pupkin Speaks blog uh, of top 10 film, uh, like older films discovered in a year. Uh, very, very successful playwright and screenwriter who has only directed one movie, uh, of course, of his own his own screenplay, and that's Tom Stoppard, who made Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Right. Um, and I, it's interesting. I don't think that he's as a director. I don't like. He's certainly not bad. I don't think he's particularly distinguished as a visual stylist, especially. Um, the movie's kind of straightforward in, in its presentation. You can tell he, this is a guy who comes from the, the world of, of the stage. But in terms of a guy who's, on the one hand, he's a distinct writer and has a distinct writing voice. On the other hand, his movies have been directed by every kind of filmmaker you can think of. We right. just talked uh, on a recent movie journal about Empire of the Sun, which is something that he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, but he manages to get... <coughs> To, to to like to get the specific rhythms of this uh metatextual comedy um um uh, across in a way that makes it it's in, incredibly funny but also uh kind of harrowing in a way because he's on the one hand like on one level the movie have you seen it uh, no, I haven't. Okay, so it's about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Oh, wait, what am I talking about? Sorry, I was thinking of a different uh, film. Yes, I have seen it. I saw okay. it in high school. So on one level, it's kind of just an in-joke or, or, or just a, a, a literary joke about the fact that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are characters who only exist to be killed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's kind of a joke, but then it, it, and it introduces it that way, and, it, and, it's, and it's funny, but then it kind of takes that seriously, like... And it becomes, and while still maintaining its humor, it becomes like this existential crisis of yeah. like characters who who only exist to be killed, but they think they have this great purpose. They've been called to 
to the 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 castle to mm-hmm. to Denmark to reason with their dear friend um who's losing his mind and they think they have this mission to save him yeah. but it dawns on them over the course of time that that's not what their mission is um uh, and it ma- it maintains its sense of humor the whole way and it also I mean it has a cast not like it's you know Gary Oldman Tim Roth and Richard Dreyfuss yeah not I mean not that these are deadly serious actors, they can be, but like not people you necessarily think of as comic actors first. Right. Um, but all of them are uh, at times very broadly comedic performances. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess I would just like to see Don Tom Stafford make more movies because I'd like to see him translate his own voice, <laughs> you right. know, in a way that other directors uh, wouldn't be able to. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, so that's that's all that I could think yep. of. I did. I looked up, you know, as I'm sure you did. I looked up lists online, and and there were other examples, but there was stuff that I hadn't seen. Yeah, there's know. a lot of yeah, a lot of um, so uh, including you know any number. We you mentioned Philip Seymour Hoffman, like any number of actors that would that made one movie and yeah. then you Dustin know. Hoffman just made one a couple years ago, right? Yeah. Uh, is it quartet or a late quartet? I don't remember. Uh, now I don't remember. Um, Cause there are movies called, there are movies called both of those yeah. things that came out in the past few years. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and, uh, and it's, and I'm excited to see the next, to, to talk about next week's, uh, topic, which might, I can't we'll tell, have a fun. I can't tell quite a, quite which, which discussion is going to be more disheartening. The idea of the people that made a gr- that well, we made a great next movie. Year's, next week's topic is yet. Oh right, yes. Okay, uh, never mind then. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, you can find us at battleshippretension.com. Uh, I feel like you're upset with me that I cut you off. No, no, it's fine. Okay, you can find us at battleshippretension.com. As you can find all the stuff we talked about uh, so far here, um, uh, talked about earlier in the show. It's where you can buy the uh, the spend twenty five dollars and get uh, scores of hours of of entertainment. Indeed. Well, scores of hours of content. The first forty episodes we don't necessarily stand by as entertainment. <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh-huh. While we might not have been experienced podcasters or even experienced talkers at that point mm-hmm. uh our instincts are still pretty solid like we okay. still had some really good profile episodes you know that was back when we did profile episodes every five episodes are yeah. you kidding me yeah but we did david lean we did george c scott we did madeline khan uh oh the madeline khan one is good yeah is there the buster are, keaton one in that or is that in, i believe after 40 that might be 40 oh okay yeah um, that makes sense or or maybe 35 i don't know exactly but we did, there are good episodes in there and while we might not be delivering all the information as well as we could now uh i do think that we i think we still we put out the the i think the best show we could at the time and i still stand by if only if only uh, the the general framework. I still stand by some of those episodes, but yeah, sometimes I cringe. Well, for twenty five bucks, you can get all forty ish of them. It's actually just under forty. We called them the first forty, um, as well as all of our commentaries and both of our uh, standalone premium uh, ep- special episodes for twenty five bucks. It's great. Um, you'd be a fool to miss out on it. Um, what else? Also, 
yeah, battleshipretension.com, all sorts of stuff there. Uh, reminder, we haven't talked about it in a couple of weeks, but we're going to return to doing our our sort of mailbag video segments. Right, uh, yes. Uh, that we'll post on, on YouTube and on the website called Ask BP. If you have questions for Ask BP, questions you want to ask us uh, about anything, um, uh, David at battleshippretension.com is where you want to send that. That's where you can get a hold of me and get a hold of Tyler at Tyler at battleshippretension.com. I'm on Twitter at Davey Pretension. Tyler's on Twitter at, at more lesson or at Tyler Pretension. Yeah, let's stick with that one. Please. Tyler Pretension. Yes. But your other podcast is called More Than One Lesson. That's right. Yeah, uh, this week, Josh and I talk about Moonlight. Uh, not a full episode. Uh, it's in our continuing Best of Pictures series. Uh, Moonlight just won Best Picture uh, against all odds. And uh, we talk about that uh, and just praise the film up and down and talk about how uh, exciting it is that this tiny film... Uh, that is nonetheless so much better than anybody could have expected with a budget uh, that low, um, but that it could defy everybody's expectations and win Best Picture deservedly, I would say. Um, so, yeah. And then next week, um, we ha- we've already recorded this episode. Next week, we talk about Arrival. All right. Um, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 